0: Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa
1: 5,000.
0: I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy McGillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Impact
1: Investing Podcast. Uh, We've been away for a week or so doing our proper job, but we're now back. A couple of things we want to talk about today, but first, Tom, before I jump into the topic like I normally do, Yes. I will come
0: over to you in admin corner for some key housekeeping Um, (laughs) bits of admin. We've been getting some questions through on email. Please keep them coming in. Um, Podcast at circa 5000.com. Please like us on Spotify and Apple podcasts, share with your friends and watch us on uh, the YouTube. Um, Some uh, chart news this week, obviously the Chilean podcast charts, the Belgium podcast. I'm not sure we've been in Belgium before. Not sure about oh, that. No. Thank you to our friends over there and Portugal. Back in the Portuguese charts, Thank where you we very belong, much. Obrigado. Um, a final piece of housekeeping is um, British Banking Awards. Now, a little bit of a script that I will read out here. It's um, not meant to. It's not meant to come across
1: as a script. It's meant to come across <laughs> as, as as your original circa
0: thoughts. Sir is up for. No, so Five Thousand is up for best ethical financial provider and best investments provider at the British Bank Awards. You can vote for us at smartmoneypeople.com. That's smartmoneypeople, as one word. By searching for circa 5,000 and writing us a review, um, and by writing a review, you'll automatically be entered into a draw to win a 1,000 pounds. Thank you. Um, <laughs> terms and conditions apply. Please go to smart money People for more details. We'll put the link in the show notes for you too. Voting closes on the 20th of March, so please get the votes in asap. Thank 20th you. Twentieth of March twenty three. So 20th if you, if you listen yeah, to yeah. this in
1: twenty four, it's already yeah. been and gone. <laughs> yeah. Um so Tom. Yes. Into the meat of this pod. Uh what do we want to talk about first?
0: Yeah, so we've had I mean we've, we've had uh, a few questions, but there's been a bit bit of stuff in the news as well around um something we've touched on before but seems to be heated up even more in the US, especially, which is this kind of ESG backlash, um yeah. which is coming to a head in in, in a variety of ways. First one being um, Joe Biden um, is in the news this week. Um, He's on course to issue his first veto of his presidency after um, a few of his senators have sided with Republicans, Republican lawmakers in opposing um, a White House rule that allows fund managers in the US to consider ESG factors in their investment decisions. So a couple of Democrats, one of our our old friend, Joe Manchin, the most powerful man in the world, i sided up with Republicans in that they're saying that they shouldn't, um, uh, fund managers shouldn't have to consider ESG and they don't want them to. Um, and this is kind of being wrapped up in the culture wars in the kind of woke, anti woke debates in the US. Um, as a, there's a quote here from from John Tester, who's the other Democratic yeah. senator from, yeah. from Montana, said, At a time when working families are dealing with higher costs from healthcare to housing, we need to be focused on ensuring Montanans' retirement savings are on the strongest footing possible. So this is the debate that by including ESG factors, the Republicans and a couple of Democrats saying that it will hurt people's retirement savings. So the Republicans saying they're on the f- side of working people, on the side of working families, and therefore we shouldn't have to impose um, these rules on fund managers and pension funds, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: it's sort of slightly unbelievable that something as dull as ESG <laughs> can become such a political yeah. hot potato. And it's just being wrapped up, as we've said on previous episodes, just being wrapped up in sort of this broader war on woke that's yeah. happening in the US and the polarisation of the political spectrum in the US. But you've got people like um, Tucker Carlson, the, mm. the Fox News anchor, who's who's making this into a mainstream issue. And it's also be, being uh, sort of a wave being ridden by uh, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, who are the sort of, two main people in the running to yeah. be the Republican nominee going into the yeah. next presidential election. Yeah. But it's it's just... I mean, if people in the... I would I would love to do a survey of <laughs> the US population as a whole, or any, any population yeah. as a whole, really, to see whether they understand what ESG actually is. It be- means woke, map. Well, it does in the US. <laughs> it, that's the trouble is it's become a, a sort of... Uh, it's become a sort of synonym for woke... And it's being tied in with all sorts of issues, you know, like trans rights and all this type of stuff, which is just absolutely and utterly nothing to do (laughs) with ESG ratings whatsoever. Um, You know, these two senators from the Democratic side, um, John Tester and uh, our old old pal, um, Joe Manchin, they're both people who are either coming to their end of the term and said they're going to rerun for election Mm. or are coming to their end of the term and have not declared yet in states where in the last presidential election, they were um, heavy Republican yeah. victories. So these are people playing to their own crowd. These are people who are, are re- reading the room and seeing that the Republican states are doing this anti-woke movement. ESG has been branded as something and they're now desperately trying to sort of appeal to that voter base by um, you know, being anti-ESG mm. with... There is no logical, rational argument for, for saying to a fund manager in charge of a pension scheme or any other big pot of money for that for that matter that you're not allowed to consider this factor yeah. when making your investment decision. Yeah. I mean, their, their argument is that if you start to consider sort of environmental factors or any sort of extreme woke factor in your investment uh, decision-making, that – you are going to harm the returns of those funds. And by doing so, you're you're not fulfilling your fiduciary duty mm. of making money for the underlying pension holders. Mm. Now, the reverse is actually completely yeah. true. And actually, the industry have come out yeah. in a big way. You know, all of these people who are massively famous for being
0: woke. Woke KKR. Woke, woke Blackstone.
1: Blackstone. <laughs> woke Blackrock. You know, these absolute sort of... Lefties. Lefty liberal... Communists. <laughs> Communist hippies yeah. have come out <laughs> and said, please allow us to t- make a full assessment of all the investments that we're considering putting yeah. your money in so that we can fulfil our duty of maximising return.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, it's... it's Of all of the ludicrous things that happen in, in politics <laughs> and in US politics, this has got to be up there yeah. with the most nonsensical.
0: Yeah. It's like... In another world, it's like factor investing has become a Fox News debate topic. <laughs> yeah. We can't factor investing is communist and it's, it's it's what the lefties do. Something so boring and internal to the industry in which we work yeah. has now become you know on a similar footing to all the, all the other stuff that happens in the culture wars in the US. I just hope that there's a lot of things that, well, there's a percentage of stuff that happens in those woke US culture wars that come over here. Yeah, I just hope that this isn't one of them. Um, it doesn't doesn't look like it is at the moment, um, but I suppose you never know. To your point before, to BlackRock, Blackstone, KKR, to price, have started to include language in their annual reports recently that cautioning people that there's now divergent views and competing demands on ESG that could, uh, you know, the that, that, that could impact people. There's a part in this FT article where they start talking a little bit about. It's it's going to get to a point with some of these institutions that they like we've seen with Vanguard who've stepped away from uh, ESG and some of the climate um, um, the industry climate initiatives um, because they're 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 fearful of the backlash and they've just completely stepped away from it. Yeah, that more and more will do the same because it will hurt them their ability to acquire more assets. Not from a financial return perspective. They all agree that it's actually additive to consider these yeah. things from a risk perspective. Yeah. But you could see a number of them who have senior management, who are Republican-minded, yeah. or the donors Repub- uh, that they, they donate to the Republican Party, you can see them start backing away from it yeah. and not talking about it. Either not doing it, reversing what they've been doing, or what we've said before, just moving into like a stealth mode and not, not advertising the products as being ESG-friendly. Yeah, I mean, I think if you
1: think about a... A asset, an asset manager's business model they're, they're, the way that they grow their business is that they grow the, the the dollar value of assets that they manage Yeah, because they charge they, they usually charge a percentage fee on those assets yeah. and therefore what you've got to do is keep that pile of assets that you're managing as big yeah. as possible now the performance, i.e. the financial return on that, factors in. Because if you consistently lose your clients' money, they probably won't keep those assets with Mm. you very long. So maximizing return, which is why they want to factor in ESG factors primarily, is so that they have a full picture of the risk that they're taking and that they can measure their, you know, they can can make a a risk-adjusted bet on various investments. That may be outweighed if the withdrawal rate on that pile Mm. of asset goes up because state pension schemes are labeling certain firms as woke and won't go near them. So you know it's a real headache for these CEOs of these asset management firms because on the one hand, they want to keep their asset pile as big as possible. But on the other hand, they do genuinely want to make sure that they're delivering the best performance that they can, which is why they want to factor in ESG. So whether they start to run sort of
0: two options, you can have- That's more like what they've been doing- For, for decades it's only yeah. very very recently and this is what caused the backlash is that BlackRock have said the whole business will transition to consider these factors up until recently they've gone here's your impact option here's your ESG option and here's the vast majority of our business which doesn't consider any of these things yeah. that's what most of the big asset managers have done up until very very recently and it's the transition to consider the factors across every single strategy which has now caused the the major backlash so well, they it, it could, it could just revert to what they were doing before
1: yeah and I think uh, you know Pressure on CEOs could result in one of my predictions at the start of the year coming true, Tom. Which What were
0: our predictions, Matt?
1: Well, if it's right, it's mine. (laughs) If it's wrong, it's our our prediction. (laughs) But we said (laughs) that possibly a CEO of an investment or asset management firm in the US, or probably in the US, will lose their job over this. Now, if the withdrawal rate on assets due to ESG goes up, Losing assets is one surefire way to get sacked if you're a CEO of an asset management business. So yeah. I yeah. think that, um, you know, that, and this debate is going absolutely nowhere, I don't think. Yeah. It's hotting up, if anything. So
0: speaking of a CEO of, a, of an asset management business, the guy in the US, lovely that, link. Yeah, oh, seamless. There's a guy in the US <laughs> that, if you're in the UK and otherwise you may not have heard of him, but there's a guy called Vivek Ramaswamy. I hope I've got that right, who has been labelled a crusader against woke capitalism. Talking of presidential candidates He's as well. He's a presidential candidate. Um, and he started a uh, an asset management firm called Strive, and they are the anti-ESG fund manager. He's just resigned from Strive so that he can begin his presidential uh, run. The main backer of Strive is Peter Thiel, um, who was one of the founders of PayPal, Elon's mate. Um, and they basically set up a business to build ETFs that were anti-woke, anti-ESG. In reality, all those ETFs are, are very generic standard ETFs with the ESG screen removed, and they end up trying to charge you two or three times the price for the privilege of having the ESG screen taken off. And then Strive say that they'll campaign the companies in those ETFs to not consider ESG factors in how they run their businesses. Yeah. And they'll Strive in asset management terms have kind of got, you know they've not got massive assets in the management at like six hundred million, which is easy to ignore in the industry. Um, but Vivek is quite a bit, a, quite a big figure. He's quite a prominent figure, and, and they're very vocal. Which is very, very vocal. Doing yeah. things
1: like running for president will get you in the press as well. But exactly, you know, I think the, the point here is is this is this is for me. It it looks like opportunism. You yeah, one hundred percent. If you yeah. say, well, there's these big multi-trillion dollar asset managers. Who have got clients that are saying we're going to withdraw from you, yeah, because of ESG reasons, and you create a brand that says, "Hey, we're the, we're exactly what you're looking for." Mm. Yes, we're three times the price, yeah, but you know we are, we're the, we're the we believe what you believe, option. Yeah. That's why they've managed to gather you know six hundred million dollars relatively quickly because yeah. they've just mopped up. They've created replica products yeah. or products that are very similar in strategy to the ones that are being withdrawn from, yeah. Um, and just made sure they were vocal about the anti-ESG elements to yeah. them.
0: And they've had the first institutional, an unnamed institutional backer of one of their ETFs, put 100 million in recently. Um, but up until then, it had been retail customers. So people like hey, us, t- us two buying the funds on brokerage platforms. So they're starting to get some proper backing with institutional investors. So be interested to see how it goes. We saw we mentioned our for old friend Elon before. Um, my old friend. <laughs> that I've never met, but just very, very quickly before we move on to uh, talk about financial markets in the press again this week on Tesla, uh, cutting prices again to try and boost its sales. So it already cut, um, 20%, um, in January and it's cut some of its kind of the, 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 the sports range of the model S, um, and the X another four to 9%, depending on the geography you're in. Sign of the times for Tesla, a premium-priced car. um, Might be able to afford one soon. (sighs) We have to cut you another fifty percent. Elon, if
1: you're listening, another ninety. If you want to make a massive loss on your
0: products, (laughs) so I can drive one around. Um, But yeah, so um, another cut. So we'd never seen him do that before. In fact, I think at the beginning of of the Tesla journey, he said he would never do that to his products, and he's done it twice in the matter of a few months.
1: He says a lot of things.
0: He does say an awful lot of things. He could probably do saying a bit less. Anyway. So
1: we've done uh, a, a, a check-in on the war on woke and obviously the obligatory check-in on Elon Musk for Tom's benefit.
0: <laughs> I was trying to get him in the notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like that one rogue line in the notes of uh, make sure we speak. Before we
0: started the podcast, Matt just went, do you want to do the Elon bit again? He's like, yeah, yeah I'll, do I'll do that bit, yeah.
1: Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. That, that bit in bold capital letters. Um <laughs> Um, and just before we, we wrap up uh, this, this pod, we want to do a quick check-in on markets yeah. so far this year. So, you know, we're sort of – we're recording this on the 7th of March, so we're a couple of months into to the year. Yeah. Um, Tom, you made some bold predictions for this twelve months. I did make some bold predictions. I didn't yeah. think
0: it'd be this. I mean, I mean, I know, I know you've you've made a lot of extra, you know detailed data driven notes in your on your notepad there. Um, so I, I won't steal your thunder on those notes. But I think that how have markets started the year? I think that generally they've been a little bit better than what people think. I mean, if you look at MSCI Country World, S and P five hundred, FTSE one hundred, so like. Global companies, US 500 companies, UK 100. They're all up about six percent yeah. year to date. Yeah. Um, when a lot of people were predicting that Q1, Q2 this year would be, you know, a recession, a terrible environment. And our, our prediction, my prediction, your prediction, we'll was, see. We'll see, we'll see, see whether it's our it's wrong or yours, wrong yeah. Wrong yeah. Wrong on It um, was that we'd see double digit returns in the second half of the year after a tough first half of the year. So already getting that wrong, um, but in a but in a positive way. And I think that generally economies are holding up in a way that has been a positive result on the kind of on the upside. And now what market's looking at is what does this mean for inflation? What does it mean for then central bank action? And then that will dictate a lot of you know the performance for the rest of the year. But I think that it's been a decent start to the year, which not a lot of people predicted fully.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what's happening is the market is reading that that rising interest rates is slowing down and and they can see the end. They can see that we're getting close to what's known as the terminal interest rate, which is, you know, sort of peak of interest rates. Um, You know, people are sort of only really predicting that if any more rates happen at all, it will be maybe one. Yeah. And that will be it in in, uh, UK and the Eurozone especially. So, you know, you're seeing that also inflation is not coming down rapidly in, in Europe no. and the UK, but it's sort of topping out. So inflation in the UK is like 9%. It was yeah. up above 10%, it was yeah. even maybe touching nearly 11%. Inflation in um, the Eurozone is about 8.5%. So that inflation is sort of steadying. It's still high. It's, I mean, it's still yeah. uncomfortably high. And you can, you know, anyone who goes into a supermarket week on week will we'll, we'll witness inflation. If in you're your to find
0: some food you'll see it very highly priced. If
1: you're trying to buy the last <laughs> cucumber available in Britain, um, you'll see the prices have rocketed. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're starting to see that, I mean, just aside, food has in, inflated by like 30%. Yeah, yeah. You know, food the has charts. run away. Yeah. But the, the actual sort of core inflation rate in the UK is around 9.2%. But, we see an interest rate in the UK is at like 4%. In Europe, it's gone up to 3%. They reckon that will go up closer to 4% before they start to stop interest rate rises. But inflation in the U S is, is like at 6% now, which in the context of where we've been, uh, you know, it's nowhere near 2%, which is sort of where you'd want it to be, but it's getting into the realms of sort of normality again. Yeah. And, um, you know, the fed rates at 4.75% and don't think it's going to go much higher. So, Mm. I think what you've seen is economies have done better, you yeah. know, or not as badly not as, as, bad as, as people predicted. So those those like in f- those big recessions or those prolonged recessions haven't yet been materialized. They're just sort of you know bumping around. There's there's the lifting of the lockdown in um, China, so their hmm. their economic growth is expected to be north of five percent this yep. year now, um, and stuff like that. Just reopening of that big market helps. All economies to, to some degree, yeah. and I think uh, you know some stock markets are doing exceptionally well. Yeah. So you see in the euro stocks, uh, 50, which is the European biggest biggest companies listed on European stock market, that's up 12 uh, percent year to date, which. You know, is an
0: annual return. In two, in
1: two it's months. basically what you know, what you'd ex- more than what you'd expect in the average year for a stock market return. Yeah. So you know, you got the FTSE 100, the UK stock market is up five percent. Uh, you said, Tom, the S and P 500 is up six percent. Yeah. You know, what's interesting there is. You know, people are sort of thinking, well, interest rates on cash are getting better. Yeah. Well, if you'd remained in the markets or you'd put money into the market so far this year, you'd have done better. You'd, than, done better, yeah. you'd have been done better than it's cash. It's another
0: it's getting. another argument to to stay invested, basically keep yeah. investing.
1: Now, obviously, that's not locked in. It can go no. down from here and it can go back, it can go up further yeah. from here, and it'll be bumpy you know for the next foreseeable time and, yeah. and it will continue to be volatile and all the rest of it. But the point is, is that stock markets and economies aren't necessarily completely doomed, yeah. albeit you know, on the ground in real life, it feels it feels like inflation yeah. is high, and it feels like prices are, are high, and it feels tough out there. So Yeah,
0: especially if you're in the UK. So, like, you know, in terms of how the UK is doing, we, we're probably going to do an, a, a deeper look at the UK in an episode at some point. And next week, we've got the UK budget. Um, keen to see how you fit Elon Musk into that one. Well, I mean, um, <laughs> how do I fit Elon Musk into that? Um, uh, yeah. Here's a tangential link. In the, in, in the recent Man United takeover talks, Elon Musk was rumoured to be one of the bidders, but he hasn't materialised. There's always a link. Um, so uh, we've got the budget next week, where Jeremy Hunt is, going to pl- is obviously going to plan out um, exactly what he's thinking um, in terms of that. But in, fr- from November, when he did his, you know, his his his, uh, his last kind of mini budget or the, or, or the budget, his first kind of statement after he got into his position kind of the short-term prospects for growth and public finances in the UK have improved a little bit in a way that wasn't that expected. Britain has appeared to, you know, avoid a recession at the end of last year, um, and consumer spending has held up better than expected despite the cost of living squeeze um, and business surveys have, have picked up. So now that the Office for Budget Responsibility... Um, is expected to announce that the UK will have a shorter and shallower downturn than it was penciling in, in last November, which then reduces the amount of government government borrowing that's needed, which has magically plugged like a thirty billion hole in the finances. So I think last year was a fifty billion hole, was it? I can't it, remember what it was. it was. It was it was bad at one point and got <laughs> it, worse, it, didn't it? So it was, it was, was, was bad, got worse, and now it's not as bad as it was. And so we'll see what what um, what is in store um, next week. But the Treasury says that you know stronger growth now means slower growth later, so there's a bit of there's a bit of a kind of trade off in, yeah. in how they're thinking about it. But I think that as with global economies, the UK economy is perhaps doing a little bit better than predicted. The UK economy is still doing worse than its peer group, yeah, um, and worse than its peer group in, in a lot of different areas and metrics, but a little bit better than the negative predictions at the end of last year.
1: Yeah, and not to preempt any further episodes we do on the UK, but you know Brexit is now completely and utterly solved.
0: It's solved, and and really, it's been a massively positive result for us on Brexit. <laughs> well, Everyone's feeling the benefits, the Brexit dividend.
1: I mean, what what may happen as a result, though, is is clearly there is a there's a sort of softening of of rhetoric between the EU mm. and the UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. and maybe maybe it will lead to some sort of more. Uh, open trading relationships Well we already have
0: it's a bit of a strange scenario wasn't it the other week where Northern Ireland now has this special status where it's basically in the EU and in the UK and Rishi Sunak said that's the the, the most promising economic zone in the world who used to be in the UK and the EU it the, used to be us it
1: used to be the whole the of the whole UK.
0: UK not just Northern Ireland they ha-
1: Northern Ireland now has this unique position where they can trade with the rest of the UK and the EU isn't that brilliant like the whole, the whole of the UK can, <laughs> used
0: to <laughs> can we have one of them Rishi please <laughs>
1: Anyway, that's a good place to wrap up before we start on on (laughs) Brexit. Brexit. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Impact Investing from Circa 5,000.
0: Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5,000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast.